Welcome to the Afikra podcast. Today's conversation is with Wa'el Mur'us. He is a partner at Mur'us and Key. Uh, he's a typographer and the co-founder of one-on-one projects. Um, I'm a big fan of his work. Today's conversation is going to be moderated by me, Mikey Mhenna. Uh, this conversation was originally recorded on May 19th over Zoom. And as always, it will be followed by a Q&A from folks who are on the call and wanted to get, learn more about Wa'el's work. Hope you enjoy it. Our, our guest, Wael, um, is a uh, graphic designer and a type designer, uh, originally from Beirut, currently based in uh, New York. He received his Bachelor of Arts in Graphic Design from NDU in Lebanon, um, and then later on received his MFA from RISD in, uh, in Providence in 2013. He is a, he's a founder, co-founder of the award-winning design agency in New York, Mur Oski. Um, he's also the co-founder of One in One Projects. Uh, Wael has been featured in print magazines uh, 50 Under 30 and uh, was named a young gun by the Art Directors Club and an ascender by the Type Directors Club. We are super, super happy to have him on. And so welcome, welcome, Wael. Thank you. Um, Wael, so let's, I'm very curious about, um, I think a, a good place to start is um, there are lots of types of designers. Um, I'm very curious what drew you into specifically type design, that l- little niche of this broader universe of designers. Um, what about it attracted you? Uh, first of all, marhaba for everybody who's joining us. This is super cool. It's, it's, it's really intimate, but it's not because we have 51 people here. It's like a mini lecture. Um, uh, the short answer to that is maybe because I was never a great illustrator and I fa- found a lot of uh, freedom in the restriction of drawing letters. At the end of the day, you know, uh, drawing letters in any language is a set of conventions that you have to follow and build on. If you draw an A that doesn't look like an A, people are going to have difficulty reading it and using it. Um, I think working and drawing with this within these restrictions was kind of freeing for me because my illustration skills were never excellent and I would never be an illustrator. Mm-hmm. Um, that was something that made me really comfortable and felt really happy and it was really rewarding drawing letters. The other thing is that Arabic typography was and is still a little bit underdeveloped compared to other scripts. So as a designer, every time you do something there you feel that you're adding something or you're making a new contribution or you're breaking a new ground and that is always you know exhilarating and exciting to there's still so many firsts to be designed for arabic typography and uh, i feel i feel yeah it's, it's much needed um it's surprising because i remember carefully i, I remember clearly in my undergrad uh, you know, I was born in Lebanon. I was raised in Lebanon. We speak a lot of languages. And uh, I went to NDU, which is an English university following the American system. So all the classes were in English. Um, Arabic was not cool, you know, as a design element to work with. And in Mabizakir, that we were waiting to go to class because we wanted to do things in Arabic. We wanted to do like graphics that look like everything out there, like the international style, like what these famous designers from Europe and, and the States are doing. And anything in Arabic was, no, that is not cool. Um, because we couldn't see, you know, amazing graphic design and typography in Arabic. I think 
that slowly and change to the exact opposite. And I think it's the most exciting thing to work on is the Arabic language formally. Yeah. I'm curious um, because the Arabic language, like most languages, has, um, you know, has a long history, uh, like a heritage of calligraphy and a heritage of the, the typeface mattering, right? People cared mm-hmm. about what it exactly. looks like. What you're doing, and I think the state of typography now is is focused on a, a, a sort of a digital digital a digital framework, right? And so, do you feel like you're connected to that legacy? Do you feel like you are you're connected to this broader legacy of handwritten typography? Absolutely, absolutely. I, I mean, typography is a set of convention. Um, so we have to build on what was done before and specifically calligraphy, especially in Arabic. Uh, there's a rich history of, of calligraphers trying to work with the script and to render it on paper. And then the whole mechanization of the script and from uh, printers to typewriters to now digital uh, computers and now phones. So language is still trying to move through these technologies, but the essence of the rules and the proportions that the brain is used to is still is still in Arabic calligraphy. So absolutely, I am not a calligrapher. Yeah. <clears throat> a calligrapher is a whole different um, artistic uh, endeavor. You know, it's a lot of muscle memory. Every time a calligrapher puts the brushes on the paper, like the form, the proportion is almost perfect. Whereas uh, as type designer, we have the privilege of just tinkering with that curve until we like it. Um, but that relationship of these two curves is still is still there. The proportion are there. It's just how we interpret them to create different systems of shapes and relationships that become a specific font. And then you interpret them differently and they become a different font. So, but the essence is there. And the history of calligraphy is also not linear. You know, different regions yeah. have had their different interpretations and contributions, you know, all the way from the Eastern... Um, um, sides of uh, Iran till Morocco uh, yeah. to the northern parts of Levant to the Gulf and the south. Every culture has its own um, calligraphic histories and references and that what makes it rich and exciting to draw from these paths and then reinterpret them in modern ways. So actually I, I recommend all type designers working in Arabic to reference calligraphy very closely before they start experimenting with new shapes yeah so i think there's um we're gonna be talking about sort of aesthetics and art and design throughout the course of this conversation i want to just take a, a a slight detour to talk about um to talk about business a little bit and to talk about um opening uh sort of typography and the work you're doing as a as a mechanism to democratize and to sort of flatten flat things up when you work on when you work on commercial typefaces, right? And re, you know, you reimagine these brands or you create, you create open typefaces for people to, to use all over the world. Do you see it as a way of like, I'm actually connecting people? These, you know, this is part of the, part of the, what I'm doing. Is that, or do yes. you see like weirdly enough? Yes. I mean, a lot of times I'm, I feel like I'm building secret connections with people that I don't yeah. know. I mean, f- first of all, 
you know, I run a graphic design studio, but we consider typography as one of the most essential tools in our toolbox. And it's one of the most powerful a graphic designer can use. And I sometimes I say, you know, a picture says a thousand words, but who is to define what these words are? Everybody can interpret them differently. Language as, as the shape of the word is much more specific in meaning, even though it can be very metaphorical as well. Um, and the cool thing about designing font is that you're not designing a finished poster or a finished business card or a logo and that's it. You're actually yeah. creating a tool. You know, a font is a piece of software that people can install on their machines yeah. and type whatever they want with it. And it's always surprising to see that font used in different ways. So, yes, sometimes when I'm drawing font, I'm imagining the designer, the other graphic designer, the other end of that interaction, receiving that uh, software and... <clears throat> And using it. And the fact that I'm also a graphic designer, that I, I use typography in my projects for my clients. Also, um, I'm trying to think what what yeah. what would I need for a specific branding yeah. project or a signage project and or typesetting books, what would be most useful? Yeah, you're so, the end user. Yeah. Exactly. And I mean, the best projects are, are the ones that you are paid to do, but then the institution behind them wants to release them as open type sources for free. Um, because yeah. that's where this is when the font can have the most reach, uh, specifically in the Middle East. You know, uh, awareness around licenses, licensing, and the work that is needed to finish a typeface project. Um, not everybody is aware of that. So uh, the opportunity to disseminate these little softwares and have people have access to them and use them to communicate back. Yeah, that is that is that's definitely an exciting, an exciting thing. Do you have a sense of? Um, is it a small community, like uh, the community of people who focus specifically on Arabic typography at a commercial level? Is it a really small global community? You guys are all so. sort of learning, pushing each other, each other, or how does it work? Uh, it is. It is a very, very small community, uh, and. I would say, I don't know, 20, 30, but it's slowly growing and changing and opening up. Yeah. I think there's uh, um, a lot of people know each other. A lot of people collaborate with each other. Uh, we're, we're definitely inspired by the work that other people do. I mean, that's how I came. I, I, I kind of learned what I know through collaborating with friends um, I did not do my master's in type design specifically, uh, but I have a close friends, uh, mostly Pascal Zurbi, Christian Serkis, and Fajak Apelion. Uh, the three of them have done master's in type design, and I think they're uh, close collaborators, and I've worked with them on several projects, and this is how I built my knowledge. Surprisingly, and I mean, it's, it's a very, it's a very, to me at least, it's been like a very kind of, uh, master and pupil and kind of like one-to-one -one, uh, skill kind of teaching and learning and giving feedback to each other and showing process and um, to each other. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it is. A, I mean, it's funny that a lot of the people from that community are actually Lebanese for some reason. I don't know why. Yeah, but Lebanon does have a history of, of printing presses that is also interesting to look at. It's interesting to think about, you're mentioning, in the beginning, you're mentioning, like, there are these, like, big challenges, you know? Like, what are, I'm curious, what are the, the white whales? What are the, the, the Mount Everest that 
type typographers, type designers sort of think about like, oh, like if I take a look at this, um, um, these are all uh, original original work by you, I believe. Um, yes. From a technological perspective or from a technical perspective, what's what's the process? What's what's challenging here? You know, like what's challenging about developing this? If you were to explain it to like a fifteen year old who says, okay, what's challenging about developing a typeface for commercial use that works on web and, and print? 15-year-old. I think, <laughs> I think it's, it's, um, it's the complexity of this whole system of little shapes that need to work together. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite typography-related typography quotes is by a very famous type designer called Matthew Carter, and he says, that's me, let's see if I'm going to ruin that quote. Typography is not a set of beautiful letters, it's a beautiful mm-hmm. set of letters. So what matters yeah. is not each letter being individually pretty and amazing, but how it connects together and the whole set being harmonious. Um, and that is all what typography is about. I think the, the challenging part is understanding if, if you make a decision in one letter, how it will affect the other letters. If you make the tail of the wow specifically, how it will affect the tail of the ra. If you make the balls of the scene, sod, lamb, uh, how it will affect the ball of the calf. So there's a lot of little relationships that you need to be aware of. And it's like a massive puppeteer with 500 strings that you're pulling at the same time until you get the fine tuning of this visual symphony, if you will. So I think that is the, the essence. That is the core of what designing a typeface is about. And that is, is hard to master because it takes a lot of skills. And it's also a little bit of training your eye to start looking for things that you start interpreting. It's teaching yourself how to unread, you know, because when you see a word, you read it automatically and that's it. You, yeah. you have to reteach your brain to look at these words in terms of negative, positive, in terms of rhythm of the words, in terms of the composition of the word itself. So <clears throat> it can be challenging, and I'm not even talking about the technological uh, complications, um, i.e. the uh, the softwares that allow Arabic to seamlessly being integrated into your design process. Yeah. And that that is a whole chapter on its own. Yeah, I mean, it, it does... Like at work, for example, for me, we do a lot of bilingual stuff and it drives me crazy that if I use one font for English, like if I use a, like a, a sans serif font in English, the Arabic looks totally different and it's like different sizes and different, yeah. the font size, the, it drives me crazy. Um, yeah. Maybe to some of the work that you do. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Please. No, no. I can talk for hours, so I'll let you drive. Yeah. I'm curious. Um, when you started talking about um, you're also an end user for this stuff, what do you think of when you do you exclusively use your fonts at this point? Uh, <clears throat> no, I don't. I've you. I I don't have. My, I haven't designed enough a, a library big enough to cover all the needs that I want. I have. I think about six commercially released full typefaces that cover a lot of my needs and obviously i know them with my eyes closed so i know exactly what they're going to look like sometimes i start with them and then if i want something more specific i try to find something else um there's a lot of flavors in typography and i definitely my body of work has not covered all of that so no there's a lot of fonts out there that i also use that i haven't designed are there like and excuse the ignorance, but are the, what are the like the major types of shortcomings 
that you, if you were to describe specific fonts versus others, right? Like if you were to describe like a, a Range Rover versus uh, like a Mini Cooper, right? They don't, they just, right. they're both great cars, but they just do very different types of things. Um, what are the standard types of shortcomings that <clears throat> so I mean, fonts could have? You would think that a font is just letters and then once you can read it, it should work everywhere, but we don't need read everything the same way. So actually the way a font is supposed to use will dictate a lot of design parameters that go into it. Meaning if a font is supposed to be used at like a six point in a dictionary, you need to draw the shapes in a way that are still legible when they like scale down. So you open them up, you make them a little bit grotesque. It's a little bit like makeup for theater, you know, it's a little bit exaggerated. So people from the far can still see that expression or mm, yeah. uh, something like that. If you're designing something that needs to go on a screen, you have to be uh, aware that the amount of pixel is not as big as the ink that can reproduce. So you have to also design it with that <clears throat> in mind. Um, if you're creating something that needs to be read for a long period of time, i.e. pages and pages in a book, you want to design something that enhances the shaping of the words so they're organic, so the eye can see like the shape, because that's how our mm -hmm. brain reads. If you want something that looks good for headline, meaning um, can be used as a bigger size and needs to look cool, you can in invest in weirder shapes and tighter spacing so things are more like blocky and it gives yeah. you like this nice typesetting. So there's a lot. It, I mean, there's also how many ways it exists on. If a, you want to choose a typeface that have enough weights for the type of hierarchy that you're creating in the design. Uh, language support, if you want to use any Urdu, Farsi, or other uh, language that use the script. Um, yeah. Do you, speaking of Urdu and Farsi, um, are you constantly looking at other scripts, uh, other languages as inspiration, like looking at, uh, <laughs> looking at Urdu, looking at Japanese, looking at Korean, looking at... Um, uh... So I don't speak Urdu nor uh, Farsi, but the alphabet is very similar to Arabic with um, some some changes. So it's always helpful to add those because I've already designed couple, several hundred glyphs designing an extra 20. will make it support three more languages. So <clears throat> I'm always happy to do that. Um, and the answer is yes, I do look at other scripts and other fonts, whether Latin or other Asian scripts. Uh, just for inspiration. There's a lot of experiments that go there. And um, the, the mistake is to just do them exactly the same in Arabic, whereas you have to break it down and then reconstruct it from the ground up to see what the Arab might look like with that thinking in mind, not necessarily with that shape pasted onto it in Arabic. So you're, you've been talking a lot about your work as a designer, and um, I'm curious... Over the uh, you know years that I've been exposed to you or aware of your, your work, I've noticed that you do a lot of this like abstraction, where you sort of break down these uh, break down the Arabic script into sort of like design elements, individual design elements. It seems almost like a texture. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> how do you approach that work, and what what's your sort of process? What's your inspiration for these types of pieces? Cool. Um, I mean, the first thing I need to mention on this slide is that the top left one that has these wet shapes is a font by Lara Aswad. Um, that was a book, uh, that was a design project in my thesis, and I'm using other people's as examples. Um, but that, for example, that middle poster that says, Fauka Kausa Kozah, 
Yes, it does have these abstraction of shapes and becomes more like a visual pattern. Uh, actually, calligraphy itself is is a very modular at at, at its micro level. Uh, again, for example, the head of the calf and the fay, the fay and the wall all have similar structure. Is that same loop? So if you're doing it at one style with one pen, they're supposed to be almost the same. So. The script itself is based on these uh, little abstracted strokes that can that mean nothing on their own, and I think it's it's a mental exercise maybe that I do sometimes is to go back to these processes and break it back down to its essential, basic strokes of of vertical to horizontal loops, and when you combine them, they form the letter. I think it's a little bit of a exercise that I do. Yeah, it it seems like. That, that middle, it seems almost like a, a, a juxtaposition to your other work. Because, like, all your other work is about, like, creating sustainable systems. Yeah. <laughs> These sustainable systems that are the opposite of abstract, right? They, exactly. They are, like, overwhelmingly, um, they, don't, um, they don't obstruct meaning. They communicate meaning as fast as possible. Whereas all this stuff is about abstracting and like exactly. yeah absolutely I mean it's it's funny the projects that you're showing on this slides are usually self initiated or uh, posters yeah. for artistic collaboration with other people um, and I think maybe maybe I'm trying to balance that with the client work that I do because I mean when you're designing an identity or a logo or typesetting a book you're helping a client design and communicate clearly like you said there needs to be uh, based on what we're trying to say here it's not a it's not an abstracted ambiguous piece that you lose yourself in it um which is one type of service that you can create for a client yeah if you're designing a signage the 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 stop cliff sign needs to be clear what it is if you're designing a poster that can be hung on somebody's living room so they can daydream um, you have to also go in an abstracted route to allow that room for interpretation. So it's, it's yeah, I think it's probably two different ways of thinking about visual communication that I jump back and forth. In. I want to talk about two uh, main topics before we open it up. Um, you, uh, you teach this stuff a lot. Um, and you've, you've uh, done these workshops um, where you try to communicate your sort of approach to all this stuff. Do you feel like the students you have or the students, the most successful students that you've taught, whether they are professionals in their own right, but are taking these workshops uh, on the side, do they have to speak the language to be able to be really successful Arabic type yeah. designers? I think this is a question I get asked a lot because I design Arabic typefaces. whether whether a designer of a certain script needs to know that language, whether I need to know Thai if I'm designing a Thai typeface, yeah. or uh, or do they need to know Arabic? I, it's hard to tell. I think it's, it's the question is is more of a question of agency and access. I believe that <clears throat> if a company is investing in a specific language, there needs to be people who understand that language and its connotations and its yeah. cultural context present on the table, on the team, having a say in the decision, having a seat on the table, uh, uh, being part of that conversation. Um, and it, it, it's interesting because typography offers at two different levels. You know, the base, basic level of it's black and white shaped that are universal. Anybody can read black and white shapes and understand curves and, and things like that and spacing. But 
at the other end, it's entirely cultural, entirely uh, abstract for people to add to it their own specific memories, connotation, meanings, and, and cultural references. Um, you know, uh, Roka font uh, has totally different character than uh, Diwani, and where you would use that. You know, Roka is is that broad depend that you saw yeah, that you see on a lot of banners, Yaftad, or let's say Asar al Khudra, because it's quick, it's simple. Whereas Diwani, it's much more elegant, it's much more uh, opulent, uh, can uh, reference history and authority and dignifying uh, messages. Uh, and these things, um, and a, a typeface that has a hint of a Moroccan Western flavor, like let's say a Kufi Maghribi, who is entirely different than the Kufi, um, the, the Fatimi or the Mamluki. So they have these nuances and you have to be exposed to these things. You have to see them in the streets. You have to see them in other applications to kind of understand it. So you have to be able to decode these references and these meanings attached to these scripts so you can design a typeface and i think therefore speaking the language is almost essential so you can decode it um so i might be able to look at a thai script and draw things that are beautifully drawn but i'm totally blind as to what that means in the culture and how does it connect to other thai scripts in the past or in, in contemporary visual culture and i think in the same thing for arabic so you can do it, but you're shooting a little bit in the dark if you don't have somebody on your team that's doing proper consultancy and <clears throat> having a say in the design that knows the language and the culture, I think. In, in some ways, you're a technologist, right? In, in some ways, what you're doing is super tech-facing, tech, <laughs> uh, right? Um, do you feel like big tech is coming on board with t actually using beautiful modern scripts, Arabic scripts, um, for for websites, for software, for modern software, for apps? I mean, do you feel like there is a, a sea change there? They, they, there is. And like everything in life, it's really driven by capital more than just their desire of preserving language or help it, or developing more language. Um, I mean, you know, fonts are software, so big companies pay licenses to tech foundries when they want to use that software. So, for example, let's say Uber as an app will have to license its fonts and pay yearly fees. And when it's an app used everywhere and not so many websites like communication material, print and advertising, it racks up to a big bill. So what these companies, these big tech companies realize that if they invest a little bit of money on designing their own proprietary font, uh, they will save a lot of money down the line from paying yearly licensing fees. So it's pushing a lot of tech uh, companies to actually invest in that route and to want to uh, have their own uh, fonts. Um, uh, the, the, reper the positive repercussions of that is that it's creating rooms for explorations for designers to be paid to do what they do best and to explore ways of creating different voices. Um, yeah. So it's, 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 um, it is, it is influencing each other. You know, the market is helping fonts being developed more. Um, but it's not from a cultural preservation or advancement perspective. It's more from, a, 
I mean, they, they also do care about effect, uh, communicating effectively when they open up to new markets. You know, they want to be able to, to appear friendly, part of the culture, yet global at the same time. So, yeah, that's why they do it. My last question is about uh, a project that you run called One-on-One Projects, um, mm-hmm. which brings me to a, a broader question about your, uh, your thoughts on using art and design, not even your thoughts, the way you're drawn to use art and design for social me- messaging, for advocacy, for bringing people together. Um, I see it as a, a, a very solid through line when I look at your work. Um, do you see it that way too? Or uh, for you, you think I'm, I, I don't, I'm not making any sense? <laughs> no, no, you are. I think, I mean, I, I, I think it's very, it's like an instinct. I mean, I moved to the States about 10 years ago and I've been living in New York and Brooklyn for about eight now. Yeah. And I think it's also part of what New York is as a city. It's a place where a lot of people come from different places. I think we talked one uh, about <laughs> New York one time with you and me. Um, people come from all different places and they just resettle here and they try to build communities around them of people that they can relate to. It's like building a much bigger family. I think in in a way, what the one-on-one project is, is something like that. So it's a, a way to connect to people that share these cultural backgrounds as we do. It's a platform that exists mostly on Instagram and uh, we have a blog and what we care about are stories of Arab Americans and Muslim Americans, uh, especially with the current political climate in the USA. Um, there's a lot of you know push against these sort of identities being expressed to their fullest. And we called it, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a project with uh, uh, a group of friends and we do it, you know, uh, remotely and almost on a pure volunteer basis. It's with Kamal, Kamal, Lin Amhas, Zuel Ghanem, and Chantal Jahshan. We called it one-on-one. We were trying to see if there's a way to be, put a bigger umbrella around all these different communities that are in the yeah. States uh, and try to find a, a connecting something between all yeah. of them. Uh, it's allowed us to you know, meet a lot of new people and invite a lot of people in and form some sort of a, uh, at least virtual community. I mean, we've done physical events and that was also great too. Um, it's actually very human and warm and fulfilling to be part and feel like you're part of that. Awesome. Okay. Last quick fire question, just to promote nerdery and then we're going to open it up to everybody. Um, We've been asking this uh, of most of our guests. Um, Do you have any recommendations for books, museum films, because you're a designer, maybe uh, designers that people should follow or um, I won't put you, I won't make you answer all the questions, but if you can give us one recommendation to sort of nerd out on on our own, that would be helpful. Here's a confession I have. I don't read a lot of books back to cover. I have a big library of books. I keep buying books. I don't have space for them. I usually flip through them and go back to specific chapters when I remember I know that book. Uh, I read a lot online, more like articles. Uh, The last book I fully read was actually a totally non-designed book. It's about cats. It's a, oh, because you have a cat. Cute. You have a new cat. I, I recent, yeah, I recently got a cat. His name is Cooper. He's like seven months old. Um, but yeah, I finished the book in three days. I was surprised I haven't finished a book that quickly in a long, long time. Are there uh, any designers that we should uh, we should look into? Uh, I've always been a fan of Riza Abidini. He's an Iranian designer. He has managed, and that's hard to do as a designer, to carve a voice for himself. 
he's an educator and artist as well. I think his work is really inspiring. So I'm going to open it up to everybody. Um, let's start okay. with uh, Hilal. I think you had the first question. If you want to go ahead and unmute yourself um, and ask your question. Okay, you can't unmute. Okay, I will ask your question. Um, what is your go-to type font slash what is your favorite font that you created? Uh, I'm not going to use the cheesy metaphor that they're like my kids and I can't choose, but it's hard to choose. I think graphic is really, uh, graphic is really interesting for me because it's, um, it's one of the, uh, the sans serif equivalent. And the big question was what a sans serif in Arabic looks like. What does that mean? Kufan that you see here on the right was one of my firsts. Um, and still a big favorite for people because there's not a lot of uh, Kufi-inspired uh, fonts. I'm very excited about Lyon that's being mastered and going to be released in a, in a month because it has a special italic that's completely redrawn instead of just slanting the design. So every for, font for graphic, is, yeah. For graphic, are are you hoping that the reader that the sort of font washes away, kind of like a Helvetica where you don't really see it? It just kind of washes away or do you want the reader um, to notice to notice it in a way it, it's very neutral but it's also very uh soft i mean christian schwartz the designer of the latin calls it vanilla like a vanilla helvetica because it's much mm -hmm. more rounder softer pudgier shapes yeah. uh we try to bring that a little bit to the arabic it still has a more display quality because we're so meaning um uh, it does work uh, in small sizes and longer text, but we're not used to read that low contrast, sans serif, geometric type of fonts on long um, periods of time. So I don't know if it if it operates entirely like Helvetica, but it has some of these qualities that it can be a little bit neutral, but more warm and vanilla than a default font. Great. I'm going to ask Jose's question for him as well. I was hoping you'd hear other people's voices, but let me see. Jose's question. Where can we learn about Arabic uh, typography? Online, books, digital? Are there any recommendations for places to learn this stuff? That's, the, that's another uh, problem with Arabic. There's not a lot of resources out there, but it's still the ability. But there is a library being built. Uh, there's a, the Titus Nemeth. Uh, I, I can write it down, uh, is, is an author who does a lot of work around the history of uh, typography. Uh, Khat Foundation has a library called Khat Books. It's actually a publishing house that publishes a lot of uh, uh, books around Arabic typography. I would start with those two. And I mean, Amazon this is Arabic typography. There are a couple of books out there, not a lot. Um, there are things. Uh, okay. Great. That you can find. Hello. Hi. Hello. Um, this is Afia. So my question is very specific. I was looking because I watched Liqa Liwal Murqus on another platform, and he was talking about the Khat Al Kufi Al Hadith. And Google bought it, so I was looking, mm -hmm. but couldn't find it. So they what? haven't released it yet. I'm just running after them in, in emails. Um, yes, Kufam was bought about two years ago by Google because they wanted to release it for free on their Google fonts, which I'm, I'm excited about. 
uh, is still stuck in their pipeline, although the design work is done. Um, I last I followed them with them was two weeks ago. Um, I don't know if they're all over the place now with the Corona thing. I hope they release it very soon. Um, I want people to have it. Yeah. Um, I I want. I mean, if people, maybe you can email me. There might be, I will have to double check a beta version that I can perhaps provide until it's released. Yeah, sure. Thank you so much. Thank you for the meeting. Thank you. Um, I think uh, Zayun, who is on the Africa team in Amman, shout out to Zayun. Um, you can unmute yourself. Hello, guys. Hi. Thank you for this amazing conversation. And Mikey, we miss you here in Amman. Yeah. <laughs> Hope you're safe. Um, yeah, so while I was thinking, um, as a, a graphic designer and someone in the field, what makes a font a good font to you? Like, when you see this font, you say, wow, this is a good font. I think the attention to details uh, one area particularly that I look at is is the baseline where the letter connects and oh. how sophisticated that is because it's one aspect that links all the letters and it has to be, um, I think, I, I mean, it, it's a lot. I think the detailing of, of that as well as how well the letters are drawn and the spacing. I mean, it's a lot of things that like jump to the eye immediately. Um, but also pleasant, unexpected surprises are things that are sometimes also interesting. You Sometimes you see a lot of like interesting surprises, but then you realize that they're not fully flushed across the whole alphabet and it, maybe they <laughs> managed to make it work in a couple of letters and then not the rest. Um, I think I think a successful one is where you can translate one idea across the whole alphabet throughout the font is the challenge usually. Oh yeah. Okay, Great. thank you so much. Thanks. Uh, I think Megan's up next. Hi, how are you? Hello. I'm good. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I um, am not a designer of any type. Um, thank God. <laughs> you don't need more of those. <laughs> psychology and sort of branding and my question is um so i moved to abu dhabi uh, fairly recently and something i've learned is that communication here especially verbal communication um there's a lot of um sort of inferred context around the communication whereas in english especially in the u.s everything is very literal and i'm wondering if Depending on the type of Arabic text that you're looking at, is there a lot of cultural context that's just implied and you just have to know it? Um, or is it also just pretty straightforward? I mean, in typography, it's more or less straightforward, which is why it's a little bit freeing that way. You know, we're thinking more about the shapes and how they come together, not about the meaning of the word. But that is something about the language, the Arabic language is very metaphorical and poetic and contextual. So a lot of the meaning comes from 
the whole sentence, even from the vocalization marks that are essential part of the word, but we don't use them because we can infer what the word is. It's like removing the vowels from a, a, a English word. You know, you can still read it. I mean, even looking at this word here on that page, Bloomberg, imagine it's B-L-M-B-R-G. You could tell that it is. Mm -hmm. So it somehow works like that. It's, it's really... Uh, malleable for abstraction and removing vocalization marks and a lot of the words can be poetic or have multiple meanings depending on context uh, but that is more in the linguistic of it yeah. I'm not sure if that necessarily affects the design because when we're designing a, a, a letter we just imagine how it's going to work with all possible combination with all other letters so yeah it's a little bit a disconnect from the meaning and then the meaning gets added when it becomes a word again in a sentence and i see the magic happens great um i think we have but one more question sorry go ahead, after yeah. that it's it's an entirely different thing if you're doing a lettering piece or a logo you know this is where mm -hmm. you're not designing as a font a tool for somebody else to set meaning to it but you're trying to capture all that meaning within the shape of the word so and then it's the exact opposite kind of almost i see thank you thank you um Samar, do you want to unmute yourself hi Wael. hi Samar from london a fellow designer hope you're well thank you for the for all the interesting thoughts and talk about your work so yeah my question is really about burberry uh like the if you can talk us through a little bit of the process that went on mm -hmm. that uh, I mean, you're matching an uppercase typeface with something that has a little bit more of movement in it. So I was just curious, what was, what kind of driv have driven the design decisions? Uh, I get a lot of questions about this logo specifically. Uh, some of the commission we get are just translating existing logos into Arabic. I think there's a, a long practice in, in, in Arabic logos where they just, resort immediately to a kufi so this is a straight baseline but that's uh because they see that there is some sort of uh parallelism between geometric sands and kufi it's a straight baseline therefore it's the it's the best match it can be the case but not always i felt um part of what burberry did when they changed their logo from the serif to this one even though this is still geometric and all caps it's much more neutral but also warmer and friendlier than the one before and we wanted to explore a route where we can translate some of that feeling into the Arabic as well. Um, I mean, uh, I was also, you know, the um, consultant on that. We developed a couple of versions and they all had vocalization marks because we all obviously told them that you need the Dhamma on the two base. So it reads Burberry and not Berberi and what Berberi might mean. And, um, but, you know, fashion brands, they don't, they Part of, part of being a fashion brand of having the attitude of not caring what okay. the consumer thinks, <laughs> you know, so. Love uh, it. Why not? Yeah, sure. Okay. So I think, I think it was an unexpected uh, uh, solution. That's, a, my, that's, that's the old logo <clears throat> that was, I guess, working with the serif one. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, to, um, me, to me, to me, just one last sentence. To me, the Latin is a little bit of an uh, effortless, you know, simple yeah. geometric yeah. sans serif. So I wanted the Arabic to be an effortless, uh, basic nasr. And being flowy is part of the all the scripts except the Kufi mostly. Yeah. Um, I like yeah. it. 
I just, I just kind of, I was curious as to why the client, like, you know, was brave enough to go for that. Sometimes you don't really get that. Um, to be also a hundred percent honest, they only do these things because they have to in, in, in Middle Eastern markets and it's not part, a big part of their communications. Uh, so they're just doing this to fill a box and as, as long as they have something they think is good enough, they will just, great, we're done. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to take one last question from Reem. Uh, Reem, if you want to unmute yourself and then um, we will close up. Hi, um, hi, Wael. Hi, everyone. Hi. Um, I wanted to ask if there's um, a guide online to self-publish Arabic fonts, if you've created them yourself, and if there's any way to kind of quality check them before you publish. Um, I I mean, the way fonts are distributed are through type foundries. So one way is that you can do, if you have a design, is to try to pitch it to a type foundry and see if they're interested in publishing it. The first thing you want to do is see if they already have any other Arabic fonts, which means they already exist in that market. They might be interested in expanding their library of Arabic fonts. Um, there are, I can't think of their name right now, but if you email me or ask me, I can look it up. There are a couple of... Um, I don't know what to call them, consortium of like type designers that come together and launch these platforms so uh, to, to release their own fonts uh, so they don't necessarily release under a bigger publishing foundry. So that could be a way. I mean, um, the internet allows everybody to publish anything they want. You know, it's a, the, the, the problem is how much how much reach can you have on your own versus a type foundry that's been building a market of, of an, and a brand recognition on the market for many, many, many years, uh, which is why uh, it's easier for designers to publish through a type foundry uh, because they already have access to the market. If you want to do it yourself, you can publish it on Instagram. You can just set up a website and do it. You can team up with a couple of designers and create your own like collective of fonts. In terms of checking the quality, uh, there is no, that's the other thing about Arabic typography and Arabic fonts. There is no universal standards. It's kind of freeing actually, because you can decide how many characters and language support and ligatures and things like that to include. As long as it works um, on the main platforms, operating systems, Adobe software, Microsoft Word, and you can generate it as a working web font. There's nobody to do a quality check except you and test it on several things. I mean, yeah. I think, for example, Google Fonts have a, 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 a list of requirements for their fonts to... Um, it's a very long list of uh, languages for their fonts to support, even though some um, rare and uh, defunct languages that are interested in having the font supporting. That's their their standard and quality thing, but there's not, no, I mean, you can release one with a basic set and just call it an experimental font, you know. So it's a, it's a gray area, you can, it's, but it's, think of it as a freeing in that way to, to do what you want. Thank you Wad, so much. Um, a huge thanks to you. Before I talk about what comes next, uh, Farah requested a picture of Cooper, which allows <laughs> me to point to your Instagram. It's if you somewhere. want to uh, follow Wad, you can follow him on Instagram. We've been uh, tagging him on all of our posts, so you can see that stuff too. Um, he was around. Let's, hold on. I'll, let me see if I can 
Yeah. Bring him over wow. too quick. And this um, is Cooper. That, that's Cooper. High five. Good boy. Oh High five. Good boy. Here you go. <laughs> and we could have just had Cooper for an hour. <laughs> I know, right? High five. High five. Come on. No, he sees there's no food left. High five. Good boy. Up. Good boy. Oh my God. Oh, baby. Yeah. Um, thanks so much to everyone for joining and a special thanks to Wael. This was a huge pleasure, Wael. Thanks so much for making time, especially 9 a.m. Uh, in New York. So Thank you for having me and thank you for participating and being interested. And feel free to reach out to me uh, for any additional questions after this. Cool. Uh, I will stick in for a few minutes if anyone wants to um, uh, give feedback or ask me a question, I'll stay online. Uh, for a few minutes but otherwise thanks everybody have a great day thanks for listening i hope you enjoyed today's episode we have new episodes coming every single week make sure you follow us on social media on instagram twitter and youtube you can find us at afikra.com for information about all upcoming events make sure you subscribe to the podcast